This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hey, what's up? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roll Pod, Alabama sports podcast from Bama 247 and 247 Sports. I'm your host, Cody Goodwin. Joining me today, another member of our Bama 247 crew. It's Mike Rodak. Mike, how you doing this morning? Doing well. Glad to get this started. Absolutely. Uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday morning. Sun's kind of poking back out after some storms. Birds are singing a little bit. And officially game week here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama kicks off its 2023 season against Middle Tennessee this Saturday night at Bryant-Denny Stadium, but today we're going to be previewing the Alabama defense. Before we dive in, though, um, only uh, our second episode of Roll Pod as part of this new website, Bama 247, launched on June 1, less than three months ago. We're a bunch of new guys, kind of, sort of, but I feel like these first few shows, we need some introductions. I made John do this, too, uh, so Mike, I'm going to ask you to do this as well. I know you're no stranger to the Alabama beat in the SEC, but give us a quick sketch, man, where you came from, your path to 247, and your most memorable Alabama football moment that you've covered so far. Okay. All right. Well, that's easy. I'll start with that. You know, I, I've covered the the 2020 National Championship game. So to cover, you know, that I think was, was easily the most memorable. You know, granted, like, there's been some great atmospheres that I've covered in college football. That was not one of them. I mean, that was a COVID year. That was an NFL stadium. Like, it it wasn't great. Like I think the atmospheres that I've had a chance to cover in the SEC, both at Alabama and, you know, going to Florida um, when it was just dripping humidity and the crowd was, you know, really jacked up for that game or, um, you know, I didn't cover the Texas game last year. I'm sure it was great. Um, But, you know, there's been, been some great atmospheres in the SEC and that's been really fun. So this is my fifth season covering Alabama. And before that I covered uh, the Buffalo Bills NFL wise for for six years and before that I covered the New England Patriots for three years um, both for for ESPN so um, you know didn't really grow up around the college game I'm from you know the Boston area and um, you know college football is pretty much irrelevant up there and you know I remember even being in high school and that was Boston College being a top five team briefly with Matt Ryan at quarterback and Nobody cared. <laughs> uh, that was the same time when, you know, the Patriots were going undefeated and the Red Sox won a World Series, the Celtics won an NBA Finals. So it's a pro sports area of the country. So it's been an adjustment for me 
you know, going to the South and it's, it's kind of flipped where, where college sports are dominant and, you know, pro sports are, um, you know, definitely you know, taking a back seat, but, um, you know, feel like I've picked up on a lot of the stuff. Well, and, um, again, it's, it's year number five for me. And, um, it, look, start looking around like, man, I've been here longer than, um, a lot of I mean, all, basically all the players at this point and uh, a lot of people covering the team too. So that's, that's kind of scary to start thinking about that. You have, so your, I introduced myself on the last show. I'm Cody, um, spent the last decade of my life in Iowa. Um, literally no sort of experience covering Alabama football, except for like Rosh Pierschbacher making his flip and following him when he was down here at Alabama, right? He was a Iowa commit flipped before his senior season and um, things worked out all right for him, right? He ended up playing in four national titles. And then we saw Rosh Pierschbacher 2.0, right? With Caden Proctor was committed to Iowa after his senior season, he flipped then signed and he's been in Tuscaloosa for the last, you know, what, nine months now. Um, so that's been the closest, I guess I've ever been to the Alabama program before taking this job. Uh, before that I covered wrestling. Um, you know, but you, you're, I mean, you're a guy that's got some NFL experience too. So I'm, I'm kind of curious comparing NFL atmospheres and college atmospheres, um, especially like coming from, you know, a market or an area of the country where the NFL is King, right? Like what has that, like, com- like getting co- to compare the two, what's that been like for you? I mean, an SEC atmosphere for a big game is better, you know, and again, it's been a little bit weird in my five years because we had the COVID year and, um, you know, things just haven't been totally normal uh, up until probably last year. Um, but, you know, yes, it's one thing to have like Alabama versus Chattanooga or Middle Tennessee State. I mean, there's there's some games in the SEC. You're just like, mm. NFL games are much better because they're more competitive. But on the flip side, there's some um, really good atmospheres. Alabama LSU in 2019 is one I should mention, too, where, um, I mean, the president was there and there was Secret Service. And that place was full, you know, an hour before the game, it felt like. Um, and that was, you know, Joe Burrow and, and Mac Jones. And there was a ton of good players in that field, ton of players who are in the NFL right now having really good careers. Um, Tua, you know, was the quarterback for Alabama actually in that game. And I mean, you can't beat that atmosphere. That's, that's better than anything NFL wise that I've covered. Um, yeah. I've covered a Super Bowl too. I covered Patriots giants in, in 2012 in Indianapolis. Um, you know, that was probably the best NFL atmosphere that I've covered, but you know, just the pageantry of college football, you know, the tailgating, the, the college town aspect, the bands that, I mean, as bad as it might be, the field storming. I, I've covered a few of those, not obviously from Alabama, but from opponents. And it's just, it all kind of mixes in and it's it's fun. Um, but again, that's not, that's not the experience we're going to have Saturday. Uh, this no. is much more akin to uh, covering an NFL preseason game, I would say. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, a lot of people have made some variation of the joke, you know, don't play with your food. Um, you know, as kind of like an allusion to, you know, this is a cupcake game for Alabama. Fully expect the Crimson Tide to walk out and take care of business on Saturday. Um, and we'll probably touch on that game more a little bit later in the week, but let's go ahead and dive into today's show. Going to talk a lot about Alabama's defense today. Um, and let's just dive headfirst into it, Mike. First question for you is what's one big question you have about Alabama's defense this season? It starts with the secondary. You know, I, I, again, I didn't cover the Tennessee game last year. I missed the first two months of of last season um, on paternity leave. But 
you could, was watching on TV, you could see it just as well uh, that that secondary was having a lot of issues. And I know a lot of people point to uh, sort of that matchup that Tennessee was able to get with Jalen Hyatt against DeMarco Helms, which was a speed mismatch. And, and that really um, they, they took advantage of that the entire afternoon. But it was more than that. There was penalties. There was, you know, even Brian Branch struggled at times. Um, there was, you know, Terry and Arnold was in the game and struggled a little bit. So, you know, has the secondary gotten better from last year? Um, I think there's potential for it to be better, but there's still a lot of unknowns. Like, I think, you, yes, you have one very solid known quantity in Kool-Aid McKinstry. Um, I think there's encouraging signs from Terry and Arnold that he can be better than he was when he was on the field last year. But you're still replacing both starting safeties. You're going to have a freshman in Caleb Downs as um, non-freshman-y as he looks, you know, it, Nick Saban said he looks like a veteran out there in the spring, but um, still, like, how does he react in certain situations that things he hasn't seen before? Um, you know, some of these NFL-like um, atmospheres, how does he handle all of that? So, you know, I think the secondary has more questions than the front seven, and that's, again, the bigger question for me. And it, it's just Tennessee coming in, LSU coming in, Texas and what they were able to do against that secondary early in that game last year uh, before Quinn Ewers got hurt. So uh, there's there, there's a decent amount for that secondary to prove. And again, there's a lot of new faces back there. Yeah, no. And they have a lot of interesting pieces, I think, um, you know, among the many things that we've learned about the defense through fall camp and just kind of, you know, the personnel returning and who they got through the transfer portal with Jalen Key. Um you know, how are they going to use the pieces together? I think the one thing that really stuck out about the Tennessee game was one, Jalen Hyatt's speed, but two, just a lot of the pre-snap stuff that really kind of confused the secondary, um, which is wild to think about, right? Because like that's Saban's expertise. And so the fact that like the secondary was the liability in that game is just like, whoa, like what happened here, right? And so like, you know, we could break down the X's and O's, but I, I wonder like how much does that game or that performance where that, you know, they gave up what, 400 passing yards, um, a lot of them on deep, big shots downfield. How much does that inform, you know, kind of the way they're able to structure the secondary a little bit this year? Um, it'll be kind of interesting to see how they put the pieces together. I know that they like the versatility, but, you know, they like having a lot of guys doing a lot of different stuff. So, you know, if they're caught in positions where, you know, you start in the slop and now you have to play safety because they're passing off responsibilities and whatnot. Like what, you know, do they feel better about that because of the personnel they have on the field? I think that the way they put the pieces together, especially based on the opponents, because like you nailed it. I mean, Texas, LSU, Ole Miss likes to throw the ball around the yard. Tennessee's really high on Joe Milton, like Connor Wegman. They're going to have to play him on the road in Texas A&M. Um, you know, Mississippi state, I know it's not the air raid that Mike Leach had this year, but like still a very capable quarterback behind center. Like there's a lot of good quarterbacks that they're going to have to play this year. And so what does the secondary look like game to game? Can that versatility be a strength? Um, you know, how do they put that puzzle piece together? I think that's the most intriguing part for me, at least when talking about Alabama secondary is just how do they use it? Right. Like they got a lot of good pieces. How, how do they use them though? And what are the ultimate strengths of the personnel? Right. Arkansas with KJ Jefferson too, might be you know, when all is said and done, best quarterback in the SEC. Um, so, yeah, it's. I think it's a little bit simplistic. I know some people like to kind of say it was Pete Golding's fault. Like Pete Golding was the one who put DeMarco Helms on Jalen Hyatt, and that was the lone reason why they lost the Tennessee game. Like, you know, Nick Saban was involved in every single decision that Pete Golding was making. I mean, that's, again, like you said, that's his baby. That's the secondary. Um, and it, would, it went deeper than that. And there's a lot of issues with, you know, penalties and um, 
you know, DBs just kind of finishing plays and not being handsy, you know, when the ball is coming in, not getting beat and then try to make up for it. Like there was issues well beyond just the matchup issue with, with Jalen Hyatt. So um, yeah, you're right. Like how do they use guys this year? How do they fix some of that stuff? And, and some of that stuff's just in the moment. You, you can teach proper technique and, you know, try to tell a guy not to commit a penalty, you know, five days of practice a week, but he goes out there on Saturday and, you know, there's anxiety as Nick Saban likes to say, and you get beat and you're racing after a guy and you're trying to make a play. And that's when some of those penalties happen. So um, some of that stuff you just can't predict. And again, Tennessee sitting there, they're trying to find, I'm sure they've worked on it all off season. They're trying to find the next way to beat Alabama. Um, what's, you know, what's the best matchup for them? How can they throw a new wrinkle in there? And, and that's part of the the chess match of, of college football that kind of makes it fun. But that's a Josh Heupel offense that, you know, gave Alabama issues last year. And, um, you know, Nick Saban talks a lot about the, the fastball offenses and, and playing with the pace that they do. And then, you know, the wide splits from the wide receivers and they gave them trouble last year. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's, we talk about the Tennessee game, it's, you know, still a, week, a month and a half away, but that, it's important, you know, you, you still need to win that game and, um, you know, kind of get the job done. Like you said, against all those other quarterbacks, if you want to play in the SEC championship, if you want to go to the playoffs. So uh, some of these things are creeping up pretty quickly. And again, I think the the secondary for me is, is the bigger question on this defense compared to the front seven. Yeah. I think the, the one question for me, how does the return of Kevin Steele like influence the whole operation, right? You touched on the penalties last year and, and when you break it down, it's a lot of 50, 50, like I know JC Latham, for example, a lot of false start penalties from him at right tackle last year, but the defense had their fair share. A lot of pass interference penalties, a lot of unsportsmanlike penalties from time to time. Even Will Anderson was a culprit of a handful of false starts or encroachments every now and again. Um, you know, and Kevin Steele has talked at length and Saban too about just being more disciplined playing winning football. That's been, you know, kind of one of the, the, the buzz phrases through um, fall camp, but um, you know, how, how can he clean that up? Like how can, you know, he, he's a guy that's been with Saban from literally the get go. Um, he's been here and back multiple times. Um, can he help shore up a lot of those little mistakes? Can he help shore up the way that, you know, can he help build a little bit of depth on the defensive line? Can he help, you know, the, the linebackers do what they need to do. Can you help the secondary figure out what those puzzle pieces look like, even though that's Saban's baby? Um, there's a lot of, you know, can they can they just clean it up, right? Because it's, you know, those penalties were killer and they seemed like they were, you know, at the worst times last year, just in rewatching all the games last season. Um, you know, so can they clean a lot of that up? Can they just play better? You know, it sounds simple as that, but like, that's kind of what I, you know, what can Kevin Steele bring to the operation? Like, can he help clean it up a little bit? Can they, you know, commit a few or probably a lot less penalties, um, which ultimately helps the defense get off the field faster, right? Gives the offense more opportunities to move the ball. Um, I'm very curious to just kind of see, you know, what are the wholesale big picture changes here and, and what Kevin Steele can ultimately bring to the operation. Cause I think, you know, bringing him back in, maybe signals a little bit of, you know, okay, they kind of want to go back to, um, you know, the defense that had been working for Saban, right? Because when Steele was on staff previously, those were some of the best defenses of the Saban era, or at least it ultimately set the foundation to lead to some of the best defenses of the Saban era. Um, can they get back to that? Can they can they clean up a lot of these little things and can they just play assignment sound, just overall better better defense? I think that's one of the big, uh, big things I'm looking forward to when it comes to 
you know, seeing what he adds to the operation. Yeah, it's um, it's, it's kind of one strategy of of looking at it. You know, I think we've even heard Nick Saban say that because Kevin Steele's been here before, maybe they can kind of bring back some of the aspects of their defense that they've had previously. But you know, a lot of those things change for a reason, and they don't have two hundred sixty pound inside linebackers running around, and um, you know, you're playing three three hundred fifty pound defensive linemen every play, like football's changed and a lot of these things change for a reason they were adapting to the offenses that they had to face and um i don't know if turning back the clock to 2011 is gonna stop tennessee's offense or you know what happened last year at lsu like you got to find a, a modern way of, of fixing it so um, i'm not saying kevin Steele can't do that but just simply by bringing back what had worked a decade ago doesn't you know mean it's going to work right now um, and I think, you know, one of the, like, you're right about the penalties and it seems like one of the differences maybe from Pete Golding is I remember talking to players who were exiting Alabama, going to the NFL at the combine and asking them about Pete and they all love Pete and Pete's younger. You know, I think he got along with players on more of a, um, friendship, you know, type of level. I think even Henry Toto said he's like a brother to him and not a coach and, I remember some Alabama fans actually got irritated hearing that because it's like, well, we want our defensive coordinator to be hard on these guys. They don't, we don't want them to feel like a brother or a friend. You want them to be like a coach or a, a boss. Um, and I think Kevin Steele being older and a little bit more old school and, you know, probably a little bit tougher on these guys, I think is going to change that tone. Um, you know, again, does that translate to fewer penalties and, and key situations? Maybe like, you know, even Nick Saban's talked about it. He can yell and scream all he wants at players, but uh, that's not always the best strategy. You know, certain players might actually get more anxious that way and um, and, and then commit more penalties. So it, you know, it's not, it's hard to paint any of this with a broad brush. And I think there's a possibility that Kevin Steele lower penalties with some of his, um, his expertise and his experience, but again, you get into a key situation in a game when there's a hundred thousand people around you and you know that there's a million people watching on TV and 19, 20 year old kids aren't always going to do exactly what they need to do. And that's for any coach, something that's hard to fix or prevent. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, just, I don't know. I just, I just want to see if maybe they execute a little bit better. You know, I know that what Steele did in 2007 and, you know, when he came back, what, 13, 14, um, they're not running that exact defense, but, you know, can he bring back the, can he, can he instill the, um, you know, the discipline required to execute when they need to? Cause I think, you know, in the big moments last year or in a handful of the big moments, they just, the defense did not execute. And so maybe curious if he's able to kind of bring that foundation back. I did love the story in fall camp, um, how he's literally making them do up downs if they commit penalties in practice. Like that is such the old school coach way of thinking and way of discipline that I'm just like, remember the Titans. Like that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember Bill Belichick would have players run laps during practice for penalties. And um, I mean, heck, I remember covering the bills when Rex Ryan was there. He's way at the opposite end of the spectrum from Nick Saban and Bill Belichick in terms of a kind of a loose coach. And um, I remember they had some serious penalty issues in Buffalo and, you know, it's, it's always the same question. Like you start asking, like, how do you fix penalties in practice? And coaches will always say, we're going to bring in officials. We're going to have them do push-ups and laps and, you know, it might work um, for a game or two, but again, it's, 
sometimes it's a little bit too simplistic of an approach and, and things just don't always uh, tend to work out long term. What's the best case scenario for Alabama's defense this season? If Tide go 12-0, 11-1, get to Atlanta, qualify for the college football playoff, in what way do you think the defense will contribute? I think just being, like we talked about, more sound um, and, and having those situations that come up and they make the right play, which it did. You know, I don't want to not give this defense credit last year because that Texas A&M game, they could have lost. Like the offense was not very effective in that game. And Taron Arnold, when AM was driving at the end of the game, made a really good play to break up that pass at the pylon. Um, so they executed when they needed to. I mean, the Ole Miss game, they were down 10 nothing early, and they came back, and the defense really locked down. Ole Miss got down to the 19-yard line and had first and 10, and everybody's saying, all right, Ole Miss is going to win this game. Alabama's going to lose another one. And that defense made four plays in a row. Uh, that they needed to. So they they did what they needed to do in a couple of the games last year. They didn't in others. But if they can do that on a more widespread basis, then I think that's the, the best case scenario. If they do their job in all the games that they need to do, then, um, you know, this defense, I think, has the talent to be the best defense in the SEC. I don't think they're necessarily less talented than Georgia, but Georgia executed much more consistently last year and the year before um, than Alabama did. So, you know, if it's not talent, then what is it? I don't think coaching necessarily on a broad scale is a, a big difference between them and Georgia, but just going out there and doing what you need to do when you need to do it. Um, that's if they do that better, then they'll be in a better spot. Sometimes it is that simple. I like that. I like that. Um, I had two, two thoughts. Um, well, one thought and then, uh, my answer to that question. First thought, if we said this during the offensive show, Talty and I, um, if it sounds like we're really nitpicking this Alabama squad, it's because they are entering this season with designs on contending for SEC and national titles. And when you're in that air of college football or any sport, really, these little things matter. So if it sounds like we're being super negative or like hypercritical of specific play or specific execution or whatever the case may be, um, it's well-earned because they have high expectations this season. We obviously have high expectations for them this season. Um, we don't hate Alabama. We are just grilling down everything to make sure that it's, you know, ironed out. And, you know, these little things are going to matter in the big games, as we saw last year. Um, I think my answer to that question, you know, how does the defense contribute if Alabama has a successful season? I'd personally like to see a lot more depth emerge on the defensive line. Um, if Alabama, I think is going to have a successful season, I think the, I think the pieces are there to have another really, really good defense, but I just, I guess I just got to see it a little bit more from the defensive line. They've got some known quantities, Jaheim Otis, um, Justin Aboyby's had a pretty good camp. Tim Smith's been a little up and down. Um, Saban mentioned Tim Keenan as a guy who's been playing like a starter lately. I, I took that as like good news. Like, okay, they've got another guy in the middle. Um, but you look at those Alabama teams that were winning titles, really deep defensive line rotation. You look at the way Georgia has started defensively the last couple of years when they've been winning national titles, really deep rotation on the defensive line, like deep and talented. And those guys just come in and, you know, like that was, that was the blueprint when Saban first got to Alabama, just recruit, recruit, recruit like crazy to get all these guys, develop them into a really good defensive line rotation. So that in the fourth quarter, they're still rotating or platooning in and they're fresh and they're still getting after the quarterback and they're still making plays. 
I guess I got to see a little bit more of that. Like I gotta, I gotta see a little bit more from the defensive line and I'm sure we'll continue to see guys emerge. Like I'm excited to see a little bit more of Tim Keenan. Um, you know, I'm excited to see, you know, Jamarian Latham is a guy that I know Saban's been pretty high on. Um, I need to see these guys play a little bit. Like I want to see the defensive line start to emerge and grow a little bit. I think if, if they're able to get a little bit more out of the defensive line and the rotation gets a little deeper as the season goes, um, to me, that's kind of, you know, in addition to fine tuning the secondary and, you know, kind of seeing what, you know, the inside backers can do, because I'm, I'm a big believer in their pass rush. I think it'll be fine. But um, I think the defensive line depth is kind of the last piece to the puzzle here. If they can figure that out. I think the you, quite literally the sky's the limit for this defense. Um, I, I don't know. That's that's my thought. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's a need to have a defensive lineman who's a disruptor, you know, who's a guy who every opposing offensive coordinator is going to that week and saying, we need to pay attention to where that guy's lined up. We need to double team him. We need to really, you know, put our focus on him. And they haven't had that guy for four or five seasons now, ever really since Quinnen Williams was here. Um, you know, I think Christian Barmore flashed a little bit, you know, became a relatively high NFL draft pick. Byron Young had a pretty good year last year, Phil Mathis, but they've had a lot of guys who are consistent, you know, guys who you can trust to stop the run. Um, and that's, you know, partly their role in this defense. Like the pass rush is not really going to come from the defensive line. It's more from the outside linebackers. But still, just to line up and, and make a few plays along the defensive line and do it consistently enough to put fear in, in offenses, I haven't seen a ton of that. And, um, you know, they have, again, there's the talent. Um, Jaheim Otis, I think, is, is probably the most talented guy among that starting group. Um, I think Justin Aboyby and Tim Smith can be really solid guys on the outside, but Otis has the size. He has sort of the athletic ability to him where, you know, you can picture him being a real disruptive guy inside if he kind of takes that next step from where he was last year. And last year was, you know, really encouraging freshman year for him. But a guy like Damon Payne, who was a, a five-star a couple of years ago, um, why isn't he part of that top five? You know, we talk about Tim Keenan, we talk about Jamarian Latham, what does Damon Payne have to do to make that next step and, and become one of those disruptive guys, um, a freshman coming in, James Smith, who's a, a five-star, you know, how quickly is he going to get on the field and, and have meaningful snaps? So trying to find that next Quinnen Williams or the next drawn Payne, um, I think is, is what they need. Um, and, and in doing that, if you can start to develop Damon Payne some more, for instance, then you are creating more depth. But, um, you know, if they have five or six guys that are, I don't want to say just there, but who are solid and doing their job along the defensive line, that's good. I think what really makes the difference is when you can have a, a game wrecker. And, you know, they're probably not going to find Aaron Donald out, you know, on their team or in recruiting. But, you know, if you can find something close you're Alabama, like, you know, you should be able to recruit some of the best defensive line prospects out there. Um, you know, to turn them into something, I think is is still something that's, there's something left to be desired out of what they've done the last couple of years. Yeah. And, and can Jaheim Motis be that guy? You know, he's got a lot of run as a true freshman last year. Can he be the guy that stepped up and, you know, maybe not quite Aaron Donald or Chris Jones S, but like, can he, you know, or even Jalen Carter for that matter, but can he step up and can he, can he wreck a few drives? Can he just, you know, I, best case scenario can you take over a game every now and again you know like can he be the guy that's unblockable or commands so much attention from the middle of the defense that it opens up you know Braswell and Turner from the outside or a Boyd B or Tim Smith to be able to get to the quarterback like 
can they do that? Like, can they, can they develop, you know, one, a guy who can do that, but two, just like a defensive line rotation on the whole um, to be able to impact games that way. I think if they can do that, that's probably the last like true thing that they might be missing on this defense. And if they're able to figure that out um, sooner rather than later, um, I think it's only going to bode well for the defense moving forward on the. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, You transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Flip side, worst case scenario for Alabama, we're talking Alabama, so... 10 and two and you miss the sec title game or nine and three and you miss a new york a new year six bowl in what ways did the defense do something wrong in what ways did they contribute to a to a failure of a season well i mean i think it starts with injuries as it usually does with any worst case scenario that happened my first year 2019 you know they had both inside linebackers go down in the preseason you know dylan moses and, and josh mcmillan and um, you know, Christian Harris was stepping in as a freshman. He was converting from defensive back in high school. And Shane Lee, you know, was was probably overmatched, you know, being a starting inside linebacker in the SEC as a freshman. And that was the story of that defense that season was was those two spots where they had lost some good players. And, um, you know, LSU, for instance, really took advantage of those inside linebackers in that game. And that kind of sunk them. So having some, and they've been healthy, you know, through, through August um, in terms of avoiding any sort of major injuries, but, you know, you still need that luck to continue. Um, You know, guys like Cooley McKinstry, Dallas Turner, Deontay Lawson, Otis, like you you need all of them to stay healthy. So if there's injuries, then um, that's really the first aspect where, um, you know, you start to tread into worst case scenario territory. But again, I, I go back to the secondary and that's, it's still something where, you're relying on a freshman in Caleb Downs. Again, by all accounts, it's been really good, but you still need, you know, you still have a freshman out there. Um, so things could go wrong with a freshman on the field. You're relying on Jalen Key and Trey Amos to continue to be, and they've had positive impacts so far in fall camp, but to be transfers who are veterans and, and provide what you need out of them. They didn't get that out of Eli Ricks last year, for instance. Um, you need Terran Arnold to be better than he was last year and sort of got benched, you know, middle of the season there for Eli Ricks. And um, so, I, you know, I, 
I go back in the other starting spot at safety, whether it's Devontae Smith, if he's back healthy, whether it's Jalen Key, um, the sixth defensive back spot, like you, you need all those pieces to, to start to come together and to, um, you know, perform. And there's just a lot of question marks back there. So, um, you know, best case scenarios, they all work out. They're all great players. The worst case scenario is that, you know, things don't work out with, with a few of them or there's some real big hiccups. So, um, again, I think I, I would be more confident in a Boyd B and Tim Smith and Otis and Dallas Turner and Braswell and Lawson. You, you kind of know what you have in those players. Uh, I don't know if you know quite as much about your secondary or, or can rely on them quite as much. So I think the the worst case scenario is is kind of what the downside of the secondary is right now and the, the downside of that turnover. Yeah, no, and I agree with that. I think, you know, the if they didn't learn from the mistakes last year against Tennessee specifically, but also LSU um, and even, you know, the A&M and the Texas games and even the Ole Miss game a little bit, there were um, some miscues. I know they ultimately pulled those three games out, but there were, um, you know, the reasons to worry about the secondary were still pretty prevalent in those games. So if they're not able to learn from those mistakes, I think that's, that's a huge issue. Um, you know, I think on the flip side, like if, if the D line doesn't continue to create depth, and I know this is kind of a play on the last answer, but um, that puts a lot more pressure on the secondary. And so that could, you know, not getting pressure on the quarterback or not disrupting games or not disrupting the offense's flow. You're asking the secondary to cover a lot more. If they're not able to put their pieces together, um, it just, the whole operation could fold fairly quickly. And it only, you know, as we saw last year, it really only takes a few plays and, you know, the, the opposing offense could be all the way down the field. Um, injuries. Yes. I, I still come back to not getting pressure on the quarterback. Like, I, I don't know if they, if they don't do that on a regular basis, whether it's through the D line or through Turner and Braswell, um, because I mean, let's face it, Will Anderson did a lot for these guys last year. Um, he did a lot his entire career. Um, I don't know that you can one for one replace the production that he had. Um, but you got to find a way to continue to put pressure on the quarterback, especially with, the quarterbacks that they're going to play this year. If you're able to do that, if you're able to disrupt the flow of the offense, um, obviously that's going to help you defensively. And so, you know, I hate to put the pressure on the the part of the defense that we both probably feel most confident about, um, which is the front seven. But, you know, if they're not able to maybe do their job at a high level, it just puts whole, it puts pressure on the entire operation um, or at least more pressure on the entire operation. Um, so, you know, if the D line doesn't develop depth, if, you know, it's going to be hard to replicate what Will Anderson did, but if they don't find suitable ways to continue to, you know, attack the quarterback and put pressure on the quarterback, because that's what the defense is designed to do. Um, it could be tough sledding for some of those games, especially against the guys that have good quarterbacks. Um, LSU's returning a lot of playmakers on offense. They feel really good about that unit this year. Um, I think the jury's still out, maybe at least for me on Joe Milton, just because he's a guy that's lost his starting job twice. So I kind of just, I know he's got a rocket arm, but I kind of want to see what he has. Um, but we know Lane Kiffin's going to be good at Ole Miss. Um, Mississippi State has some players. Kentucky, I think, is a very sneaky game for them in November after that LSU matchup. Um, you know, there's a lot of places where, you know, if, if, if they're not able to get pressure on the quarterback, it could be very, very long afternoons for that Alabama defense. Yeah. No, it's um, it's an interesting spot for Alabama where there's better quarterbacks in the SEC. It has not been true to a great extent the last few years, but usually it's, you know, Alabama comes into the game with the better offense, the better quarterback, the better wide receivers, and it's a question of whether the other team can minimize its mistakes and play clean enough football, play good on defense, and it's kind of flipped now where 
Um, Alabama needs to do that. And the other teams have the better, in some cases, quarterbacks and wide receivers and better offenses, um, or at least that's the way it looks right now. So uh, it's a different script, you know, that Alabama's probably going to need to follow this season. And again, I think big picture, you know, broad spectrum wise, can they win with a little bit more of a throwback style? And um, I know everybody loves joyless murder ball and wad ball and all the things that Nick Saban's talked about historically. But again, there's a reason why they moved away from all that. There's a reason why they've um, recruited much better quarterback and receiver. Um, it's because that's, that's the way Nick Saban thinks you need to win these days. And I, again, I think in a perfect world, they would have had a better quarterback this year, uh, whether it was Ty Simpson developing into the five-star prospect that he was in, into, you know, actual something, a product on the field that's like a, a five-star, which he hasn't done yet, or whether it was going into the portal and getting someone like, I mean, I think Drake May was probably a pipe dream from North Carolina, but even Sam Hartman was mentioning, um, you know, the Dan Patrick show this week that Alabama reached out to him. You know, there was, rumblings that they were trying to go after Tyler Van Dyke at Miami. And eventually they settled, if you will, on Tyler Buckner at Notre Dame. And um doesn't seem like Tyler Buckner is really in the competition right now. And uh, that's kind of where they're left at quarterback. So uh, yeah, it's, there, there's, <laughs> there's better quarterbacks. There's more potential from other quarterbacks in the SEC. Joe Milton could be better than what Alabama has. Um, you know, again, you go right down the list, but uh, it's, it just makes a, a different feeling for this season than other ones. And you're totally right. Like people could look at it as we're nitpicking and, uh, you know, there's other quarterback competitions, other new quarterbacks in college football, Carson Beck, you know, there's the Ohio state situation and that's true, but Georgia and Ohio state were also playoff teams last year. Alabama was not. Um, and so, you know, they're trying to stay where they were. Alabama's trying to climb back up a little bit and get back to where they were. So there's a difference there. And, kind of where they start, you know, this season. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, yeah, we can nitpick. Everybody's expectation is Alabama should win a national title. I think that's Alabama fans. That's the way they think these days. And you can say, well, you know, they lost a couple games last year by total of four points and final play. Well, that still matters. Like that's, those are key moments and they didn't do what they need to do. So, it's it's nitpicking yes but it's it's still those are significant differences uh between a win and a loss yeah and when that's the expectation um we are going to pick nits that's just that comes with the territory who's the most important player on alabama's defense this season kool-aid you know i think it's um yeah shut down corner if you can have one of those and i everything we just said and be able to run that out against some better passing offenses. And that goes a long way. Um, they had that Patrick Sertan, uh, 2020 season that went a long way that, that year, 2021, they really didn't have that guy. You know, Kool-Aid was a freshman that year and he didn't play until late in the year. You know, Josh Job, um, Jalen Armour Davis like that, that was problematic at some points. Um, last year, I think Kool-Aid obviously started to really find his groove and that helped. And, um, they still had the, the issue across from him in, in terms of trying to find something on Arnold and Ricks. And, you know, that, that still exists to some extent on the other side, but if you can have the best corner in college football, which is kind of how Kool-Aid McKinstry is being billed right now. And that's, um, you know, where NFL scouts seem to see him, then, 
becomes a really important player because if you don't have him, then you're starting Terran Arnold and Trey Amos, and you're probably back to where you were a couple years ago. Um, and then after that, I mean, it's they've, they've lost a lot of cornerback depth through the, the portal the last couple of years. I mean, Antonio Kite might be the next guy up, and then there's a couple freshmen, you know, highly rated freshmen in Des Ricks and Julio Hurley, but um, yeah, I don't think you want to be running those guys out right away. So um, it's an important position where they don't have a ton of depth. Um, you know, obviously an important role. Um, even, you know, we'll see, we'll talk about middle Tennessee later in the week, but they're going to run a lot of four wide receiver stuff. They're a spread passing offense, a little bit similar Mississippi States. We're going to see right away, you know, kind of where this secondary is. There's probably going to be a lot of five and six defensive back packages that we see on Saturday. And we'll get a really good look at not only Kool-Aid, but other corners, um, you know, the safeties. And given that it's Middle Tennessee, we're probably going to see a second tier of players come in too. So I think there's going to be a lot of good film, and a lot of good evaluation potential out of this game from the secondary. No, I like that. I think when, when you have a shutdown corner like Kool-Aid, um, you know, a guy that you can just stick on one side of the field and he's not going to miss a snap this season, not even if there's a fire. He, he, it just does so much for your defense to know that you have a guy that's going to lock down that third of the field no matter what. You know, because it allows that flexibility a little bit. And I know we talked about it earlier. Saban and Steele want versatile defenders in the secondary. They want guys who can do multiple things. And, and Saban himself has talked about Kool-Aid as a guy that can do, you know, he can back up and play a little safety. He can play off. He can play man. Um, you know, he could probably play in the slot if they need him to in a pinch. Um, but if you just stick him out there in his corner spot, like that's just don't worry about it. Plug and play. Figure out the rest of the pieces around him. Um, there's a lot of. I think freedom and confidence as a coach that comes with that, you know, because you know that that side is taken care of. So how do we figure out the rest of the pieces? How do we make sure that, you know, we can complement what he does and also make sure that the rest of the secondary is good to go. If they can find a second guy and it sounds like, you know, Terry and Arnold may have the lead for that second corner spot, um, you know, freshman all American last year, he, he flashed, he's shown some really good stuff and it sounds like he's, taken steps forward to solidifying that second corner role. I mean, that just opens up all sorts of possibilities because then you've got the other three guys patrolling the secondary doing kind of whatever Saban needs them to do. Um, but I, I like that. I like that answer as Kool-Aid. I'm going to go with Dallas Turner. Um, I keep harping on the pass rush, probably because I just came from Big Ten country to come down to the SEC. But like, if you don't have a good pass rush, man, like it is just, it is going to be a long day for the defense. I know I've said that before. I'm going to keep saying it which I think is what makes Dallas Turner so important, right? Because you got Turner and Braswell, who I think are two very, very effective pass rushers. Um, but if Turner goes down, man, like the depth behind, I mean, even Braswell, if either one of those guys go down, the depth behind them is just unknown. Like there's a lot of good dudes there. There's a lot of five stars. There's a lot of high potential there, but we just haven't seen it and we just don't know. And so Turner specifically, a guy who got a ton of run last year, I think there were a lot of people, a lot of, football people that are way smarter than me who are, you know, they're watching Will Anderson film, but they notice that 15 on the other side of the alignment is just as effective. If that guy goes down this year, like that just, I don't want to say it resets the defensive philosophy because they'll probably just next man up and let's see what the young guys can do. But I think it like, he's an important piece of the defense. And if he's not there, um, I think there's a ton more worry about the front seven. I think there's a ton more worry about the pass rush specifically. Like he's going to be one of the best pass rushers in college football this year. 
And Alabama needs him to be that literally every single week, at least until we see more depth behind him in Braswell that maybe inspires a little bit more confidence that they've got guys who can step in if needed. Um, so I just I think having that lead guy is crucial to the way Alabama wants to play defense, but then also like a guy that's as effective as Dallas Turner. Like if you don't have that guy, I it's problems, problems every single Saturday afternoon. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think in – and just even thinking about Will Anderson too, like let's not take for granted what Will Anderson did for this defense last year and eliminating him from the equation. You know, what does that mean? Even with Ellis Turner. Um, so I guess maybe in a sense that makes Chris Braswell really important. You know, what can Chris Braswell do um, in his expanded role? And, you know, how does that compare to what Will Anderson did last year? Cause it, you know, it really helps when you have two guys, two really good guys and you can't really double both of them. Um, so it's, um, you know, it's a pick your poison for an offense when there's, there's two really good pass rushers on each side. So Turner's really important. Like you said, I think there's NFL scouts out there that might give the opinion he's even better than Will Anderson, that he has the bigger frame and a little bit more athletic potential maybe than Will does. Will obviously has the motor and, um, a lot of the intangible stuff that you really love to see. But, um, again, I, it's hard for me just to say Will Anderson is going to be gone and his pass rusher is going to be fine. You know, I, I still need to see it um, because he brought so much to this team, to this defense the last three years. And, um, you know, same thing with Bryce on offense. Like, it's just, I know there's this, this idea that you know, Nick Saban's kind of said a little bit too, where you're very star driven last year. And sometimes players kind of said, Oh, you know, Will will handle it on defense or Bryce will handle on offense. And, uh, maybe there's a need for somebody else to step up and that helps them somehow, but I- I'm not really seeing the addition by subtraction here. Like it's, it's legitimately subtraction and and they need somebody to step up and replace Will Anderson. Um, along that same vein, who is a breakout candidate or the guy you're most excited to watch on the defense this season? Yeah, I think Deontay Lawson, um, I think is, that's a guy who, for a couple of years now is kind of the name you're like, all right, like he's the next guy at inside linebacker and he's had some injury issues, um, you know, with his shoulder, um, just, you know, he hasn't played a ton. He, he started to get some playing time last year with, with Jalen Moody and Moody was a much more limited player, but he was that fifth year veteran. They could rely on a little bit more and they worked Lawson into that mix. And um, yeah, it seems like now is his time to be that main guy at inside linebacker. And he's has the more, I'd say more playmaking capability than obviously what they had in Moody last year, probably what they had in, in Henry Toto or even some of the guys before that. Um, so that's really intriguing guy to me who, um, yeah, it's an important position in this defense. Um, it's a position that's changed in, in kind of what their responsibilities are and how well can he play the pass? How well can he do some different things? It's not just running straight forward into an offensive guard uh, like guys used to do back in the day, but um a pretty highly recruited player guy who's going to get a lot of playing time for him this year. And, and someone I'm really interested to see. And I think by the end of the year, you know, can easily be talking about him as a all sec type of player. I like that. I was, I'll, I'll be honest in preparation for the show. I was convinced that you were probably going to say Caleb downs. Um, <laughs> and because you didn't, I'm going to say Caleb downs um, freshman who has, probably been slotted in to start at safety since I don't know the day he set foot on campus. Um, I like Nick Saban has talked glowingly about freshmen over the years. He has talked glowingly about guys who have joined his program. He, 
I don't know. You'd probably know better than me, but like the way that this guy lights up, the way that his teammates light up when they talk about Caleb Downs, because we ask about him every week, it seems like, um, this kid's going to be good. Like he has drawn comparisons to Minka Fitzpatrick, who was another superstar safety for Alabama, who's now arguably the best safety in the NFL. Um, he has the pedigree. Um, you know, he comes from a family that has, you know, played at the highest level, you know, his dad, his brother now is in the NFL. Um, you know, he was a, one of those can't miss recruits. I know Alabama's had a ton of can't miss recruits over the years, but he just seems like he's on a different level of can't miss recruits. Um, among the many things that I've noticed about him through fall camp, I know we haven't gotten to talk to him personally, but like Alabama always posts photos of their speakers every night and, Young Caleb Downs is always sitting in the front row, sitting right next to Nick Saban, taking notes, listening intently. Um, Saban has talked about how this kid just football means a lot to him, and he just does everything in his life at a high level. Obviously, we're talking about football, but he also means grades. He also means social life. He just anything and everything. I'm excited to finally watch this dude play. I'm excited to see, you know, I hate to put unfair expectations on the kid and say he's got to live up and be like Minka, but like, I'm just, I'm excited. Like, I want to see what he can do. I want to see what he adds to a defense that, as we've talked about throughout this show, has a lot of really, really talented pieces. You can count him among them. Um, I feel like he's going to have, at some point, a welcome to college football, a welcome to the SEC moments. Um, but I also think, just based on everything we've heard and how excited Nick Saban is when he talks about him, that he's going to have even more, hey, I'm here, I can play at this level, I can do these, you know, type of moments. Um, I'm excited to see that up close. Um, I've just, I've heard so much excitement about this kid. Um, and I'm, I'm ready to see it live. Um, so I'm just, I'm really excited to watch this kid play. Um, I think last, last thing for today's show. Um, and I know we've had a lot of these sprinkled throughout, but give me one random or bold prediction on Alabama's defense for the 2023 season. I will say that, Ooh, they have more turnovers than last year. That's not very bold, but they need it to be bold. You know, they need it to be better than what they had last year. Um, and again, that's without Will Anderson, with all the turnover they have in the secondary. You know, they've lost eight starters on this defense. So you're saying, can eight new starters from guys who left for the NFL produce more turnovers than what they did last year? Um, that's that's something they need to happen. And again, it's um, whether it's sacks and you're knocking the ball out, whether it's, you know, running backs and you have guys punching the ball out at linebacker, whether it's interceptions, they needed to happen some way, somehow. And um, there wasn't enough last year. And even sometimes when it happened, it wasn't even them forcing it. You know, Tennessee, I remember, had the, the botched Hendon Hooker snap there and Dallas Turner picks it up and walks into the end zone. I guess that's a turnover, but that wasn't really Alabama's defense forcing that turnover necessarily. So how do they um, get that done with a bunch of new players and you don't have Will Anderson going after the quarterback and, um, you know, Jordan Battle or DeMarco Helms or all these guys in the secondary that had a lot of experience last year. How do you have more picks in the secondary? So new inside linebackers, Deontay Lawson, and Tresman Marshall looks like, can those guys force some more fumbles? So can new pieces do something better than what the old pieces did last year? I think that's, um, that's a big question for me right now. Yeah. I think, uh, along those same lines, I am going to make the prediction and I don't know if this is bold. Maybe it is. 
Um, I think the pass rush will be pretty good. Um, and it's going to be hard to replace a guy like Will Anderson, right? 207 career pressures in three years, really two and a half years. Cause he struggled quite a bit. Um, you know, the first half of his freshman season. Right. And then he finally took off and played like Will Anderson. Um, but I th- like, I think Braswell is going to step in and it's not going to be a one for one replacement. Um, but here's, here's some stats. I like, I like stats. I don't rely on them 110%, but I think they can do a pretty good job of explaining things. Um, so Chris Braswell had 30 pressures last year, according to pro football focus. He did that on 183 pass rush snaps. Um, that's a pressure percentage of 16.4%. That was second on the team last year to Will Anderson's 17%. Um, so Braswell is going to step in, probably be the second pass rusher next to Turner this year. He's gained 15 pounds. Seems like he's more than ready and bulked up to play a lot more snaps. He played about half the snaps that Will Anderson and Dallas Turner played last year. So can you double that and keep that kind of production? If you do that, like outside rushers for Alabama, I think are going to be just fine this year. So it's not going to, I'm not saying Chris Braswell is going to step in and be Will Anderson, but I'm saying that the pressure rate or what they want to do on the outside, I think they're going to be fine as long as those guys stay healthy. I'm excited to watch Braswell this year. I'm excited to see him get more snaps. And um, I think he's a guy that we could be talking a lot about um, in some of those bigger games when they need the pass rush to come through in those big moments. I think he's a guy who could potentially step up and do that. Um, Cause I know that Dallas Turner is going to get a lot of attention. I feel like Jaheim Otis is going to make enough plays in the early part of the season where he's going to command a lot of attention. That's going to open up some one-on-one opportunities for a guy like Chris Braswell. Can he take advantage of him? I believe he can. Um, so call that a random bold prediction. I don't think he's going to be Will Anderson, but I think he's going to be pretty effective. I like it. That is all we've got. Mike, thanks for doing this today, man. I appreciate the time. You got it. Glad to be on and hopefully we can do it again soon. We will be back later this week to preview Alabama season opener against Middle Tennessee. Um, not quite sure who all will be on the show. We're going to kind of work that out. Um, it's first game week. We're still kind of playing things by ear. Um, similar to Alabama, still trying to put all the pieces together when it comes to what coverage looks like week to week. In the meantime, though, be sure to rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, even our Bama 247 YouTube page. John Talty and I talked last week about Alabama's offense. So be sure to check out that show if you haven't already. And please subscribe to Bama 247 and 247 Sports especially now that the season is here. We've got a lot of fun stuff coming for you guys, and we don't want you to miss a thing. Thank you again for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.